When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The shadow saving sector. In light of the London capital and finance scandal, the City Watchdog is warning consumers about how some high-risk investments are marketed. I'm joined by senior FT journalists Barney Thompson and John Gapper to assess what has gone wrong. Could climate change provide a novel way to start a conversation about investment with your children? Our columnist Moira O'Neill from Interactive Investor thinks so, and she's here to tell us why. And finally, a bit of light relief in a heavy news week. James Max, our Rich People's Problems columnist, is here to discuss whether his ski apartment represents good value for money. Welcome to the FT Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's money news. Now, the collapse of London Capital and Finance, which sold mini-bonds promising yields of up to 8%, has affected nearly 12,000 retail investors who are sadly estimated to have lost the £236 million they collectively invested into LCF's funds. A criminal investigation has been launched, but the collapse has sparked wider regulatory questions. Namely, is the marketing of products like innovative finance ISAs clear enough for the average investor to understand the level of risks involved? Joining me in the studio to discuss are Barney Thompson, the FT's legal correspondent, and the FT commentator John Gapper. Welcome both. Thank you. Thank you. Well, starting with you, Barney. This collapse has alarmed investors, regulators and politicians alike. What do they think needs to change as a result? Well, you're absolutely right. This caused a big kerfuffle among all sorts of people, regulators, investigatory bodies and politicians. I mean, it really blew up, I think, when the Serious Fraud Office announced last month it was uh, investigating London Capital and Finance, said it had arrested four people. Um, They were later released without charge pending further investigation. And then on Monday, we heard that the Treasury had ordered the Financial Conduct Authority, which was the body that originally raised the alarm on London Capital and Finance and the way that it was marketing these mini bonds to appoint an independent reviewer to investigate the regulatory failings exposed by the collapse. It has to look into, did it act fast enough? And is there a bigger and wider issue about regulated authorised bodies selling unregulated products such as mini bonds. Now, the FCA pushed back on that yesterday, saying there was a risk that too much regulation directed only at authorised firms issuing unregulated mini bonds was in danger of pushing the whole thing underground. I think they said we may cause this activity to migrate further to purely unregulated 
entities. But that is really one of the key issues. Should authorised bodies be able to sell unregulated products to people who may not understand what they're getting into? Well, before we get into that precise part of the argument, as you said, LCF offered investments in mini-bonds. Now, can you explain to listeners what a mini-bond is? Mini bonds are, put simply, loans to small businesses and they have been used by everyone from sports teams to Hotel Chocolat to the restaurant chain Chilango. And typically they promise something like 3 to 4% for one year. So it's a means of raising debt it's finance, a means. It's, yes, absolutely. Retail yeah. investors buy in because they want the coupon. Yes, that's right. And, and they promise something like 3 to 4% for one year or 79% for, for, for over three years, which in a low interest rate environment is, you know, is attractive without being sort of you know, outlandish. Uh, and they have been used quite successfully. But as Jonathan Ely, formerly of this FT Money Indeed. Parish, pointed out several <coughs> years ago, there are problems. They're not regulated. They aren't part of the financial services compensation scheme. They can't be placed in ISAs. And you can't sell them or transfer them to anyone else. So they are a lot riskier than ISAs. Now, the trouble in the case of London Capital and Finance is that, well, it was twofold. One was a lot of people that I have spoken to who invested in it saw the three little letters FCA and thought, great, we're good to go. No problem here. This Mm -hmm. is all above board. And the other is that some knew what they were buying. Some said, I knew it was a mini bond. But a lot of people, about, I think, £100 million worth of this £236 million that was that was put into LCF, uh, a lot of people thought that they were buying an ISA, an innovative finance ISA. So they thought that they were protected. They weren't. So one of the crucial factors in this case is whilst mini bonds are an unregulated product, LCF was a regulated provider. And as you say, Barney, several readers who are quoted in FT stories, have said they were reassured by looking at the LCF website and seeing the FCA logo. But that wasn't to say that the mini bonds were covered by the FCA. That was just to say that LCF as an advisor was. Yes, that's exactly right. And, you know, people have said I made one person I spoke to said I made the fatal mistake that everybody else has made. I saw I saw FCA. And therefore, I thought what I was doing was absolutely fine. But I mean, I have to say that above and beyond all of that, there are a number of aspects, whether or not you, you get into this argument that regulate, should regulated authorised bodies be allowed to sell this stuff. There are a number of aspects of this particular case that, shall we say, raise eyebrows. Mm-hmm. So the money trail, uh, when the administrators, uh, Smith and Williamson, were looking at this, they said that the money trail had revealed a number of highly suspicious transactions. It turns out that millions of pounds ended up ultimately flowing to the chief executive of uh, LCF and to the chairman of London Oil and Gas, which was its biggest borrower. Funds were lent to companies that used the money to buy a helicopter, acquire an undeveloped plot of land in the Dominican Republic and invest in a rundown holiday village in Cornwall. Now, regardless of what you think the FCA's role in this should be, separately, there are all kinds of uh, other interesting avenues that we will be pursuing and the SFO, doubtless, will be pursuing in the course of time. Yes, and obviously the, you know, the criminal investigation into what's happening is ongoing. But John Gapper, I'm going to bring you in now. Now, you've coined the phrase the shadow savings sector to describe these sorts of products, mini bonds, the innovative finance ISA, what, what's the thinking behind that terminology? Well, I think, you know, all listeners will know, we've all experienced, we've had a decade of low interest rates mm-hmm. since the financial crisis. It's extraordinarily difficult to get any sort of satisfactory yield on a uh, regulated standard savings product. And that has pushed people into searching for yield in, in other places. 
And, of course, that need not be a bad thing if they understand the risks. But I think what has sprung up has been a whole set of uh, products on the fringe, from mini bonds to crowdfunding mechanisms to innovative finance ISAs. And it's really quite unclear, as Barney mentioned, you know, how many people who invest in these products really understand them and really understand the distinctions. There's an interesting point that the LCF case raises, which is this was directly marketed on the web, in this case using apparently a price comparison savings product website, which in fact was linked very closely to LCF itself, uh, which listed the yields you might get on the LCF mini bonds against a standard savings product from Nationwide. If you didn't know that they were completely different sorts of products... Uh, and you weren't sophisticated enough to realise that, you might easily get drawn in. It seems like some people were. Do you think that regulators were sleeping on the job, John? I think if we're charitable, we would say they were very distracted on the job. The FSA clearly covers an enormous range of small and large in, uh, investment firms, I think 58,000. And so it's got a difficult job at the best of times. Let's stop being charitable for a moment and say that that regulators clearly didn't do a good enough job here and there were some warnings earlier on about the way it was marketing these products. And so that's clearly going to be part part of the inquiry. So finally, I'll put this question to you both. What should regulators and investors learn from the LCF scandal? One of the things I think that I, I don't know if they appreciate this, but uh, one of the things that, that makes this very difficult to deal with is that there are so many more similar schemes out there. And I was contacted by an FT reader on, on LinkedIn who showed me all manner of schemes that he said he'd looked into the, the company's house accounts and said, this this doesn't work. The numbers aren't there. This this company doesn't have the money to cover the cover the debts. And there are hundreds. And then he showed me some that have got hilarious. You know, people standing next to a gold-plated Ferrari and people showered in money. And 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 he said just people are, are drawn into this kind of thing, and yet regulators aren't doing anything about it. So I think one of the things that I would certainly like to see is from from a reporter's point of view is just a, an appreciation of how big this problem is they've been you know there have been plenty of warnings we've we've reported uh, in the paper on the the failure of mini bond schemes going back 2013 2014 sort of around about that time but there's just there's a lot out there and i think that's probably the first thing they need to deal with is grapple with the size of the problem and john what lessons could be learned i think from a regulatory point of view there's been probably in my view too much blurring of different categories of of product. Some of that clearly is deliberate in terms of marketing, but some of it's regulatory. You can attach there's the weakness that this has shown in terms of the FS, FCA logo being on things when it's really not applying to, to the savings themselves. There's a whole question about innovative finance ISAs, and it's, they're really quite different status from ISAs. Yeah. and whether or not people can really be expected to understand that. And so I personally would like to see some clearer lines for people who are not stupid, but, they're, but they may not be sophisticated and they may well be distracted themselves in to give clearer guides to what is regulated, what's not regulated. For the individual investor saver, I think it's the old lesson, which is look at the standard yields you're getting on savings products. And if something offering something saying it's a fixed rate bond that offers you a high yield, there's a reason for that. And the reason is always risk. 
well, if it sounds too good to be true, etc. But uh, just to back up that point, I mean, these were these were investors who spent a lot of time researching. Or, you know, all the, like going back to John's point about the price comparison website, a lot of them googled, you know, what can I get best product for one year, you know, one year savings, and it, that shoot to the top of the tree. And that a lot of them have said to me. We were trying to do the right thing. We were trying to do what we were told to do. We were trying to put money away. We were trying to save. And yet we got bamboozled by, you know, by the fact that it said FCA and the thing that we were buying was unregulated. Well, thanks very much there to the FT's Barney Thompson and John Gapper. You can read more about the fallout from LCS Collapse on our website, fd.com slash money. And if you'd like to get in touch with us about this story, you can email the team money at ft.com. Coming up on The Money Show, James Max is here to tell us why he's feeling slightly sheepish about spending 5k on a weekend away. But first, how to get your children interested in saving money and investing is a perennial topic for parents. However, Moira O'Neill, Head of Personal Finance at Interactive Investor, thinks she may have cracked it by tapping into her daughter's interest in climate change. Welcome to The Money Show, Moira. Hello. So how did you know that climate change was an issue that your two daughters really cared about? Okay, well, it seems to be everywhere at the moment. We've got a lot of teenagers going on these climate change marches in London. They're inspired by climate activist uh, Greta Thunberg, who's a 16-year-old Swedish schoolgirl. And that's been everywhere from the things that they read to being discussed in assemblies at school. Even a lunch with the FT a few weeks ago. Absolutely. And within schools, there's all sorts of projects going on. So they, the rainforests are on the curriculum. There are projects by year six to try and um, ban parents from bringing coffee cups to the school play. Wow. And so it's an issue that I know my kids passionately care about, not necessarily because of me, but because of influences externally and they yeah they just care about it my my youngest asked for a, a rainforest um, style water bottle the other day because she's so she cares so passionately and she wants to do a bake sale and it's her thing uh, she wants to raise money so I think this is a this is a great opportunity for many parents um, to talk to their children about and I think it's quite important way in to talk about investing. Well, indeed, and being a canny investment professional, you quickly read across to how this interest in the environment could influence their investment choices. Yes, I mean, there are there are lots of um, funds out there that have a climate change kind of theme. They're not necessarily all called climate change funds. There are some investment trusts which aim for impact in environmental things. And of course, we've got a generation of children who are turning 16, who were the original child trust fund generation. And as soon as they turn 16, which has been this academic year, um, they can start managing their investments themselves. And so I think it's really important that we as parents who've set up the funds for them do that and what better way to talk to them in the context of something they care about I mean I have to say I tried talking to my own kids about active versus passive investing how did that go their eyes glazed (coughs) over and they looked at me as if I was saying having the most boring conversation with them whatsoever but if I said to them the money that their granddad has put away for them into their child trust funds, which we converted to junior ISAs, but they're in junior ISAs now. Um, so we, I talked to them about the context of that. They said we could use that money to make a difference to the planet. Mm. You can use money to influence things. 
they started to get a little bit more interested in it. And of course, there are other things that they were interested in too in the context of investing, such as my youngest said, oh, can I invest in something like Amazon, Mum? And I said, yes, you could own a bit of Amazon or you could own the company. My eldest, she could own a bit of the company that owns mobile phone for example so that you know there are other ways into to becoming to aware of the companies around them yeah mm. becoming aware of how money can influence the world around them and how it's all connected i think that's the way to talk to kids about this stuff and one one assumes that the amazon in question was not anything related to the rain the rainforest but the internet that's retailer the alternative way in is to talk <laughs> is to talk to them about things that they know about that could be investments well, fantastic. Thank you so much to Moira O'Neill for coming and sharing your thoughts on the podcast. You can read Moira's column about this now on ft.com slash money. And if you have attempted to talk to your children about investing, then let us know. Our email address is money at ft.com. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Now, the moment you've all been waiting for. James Max, our Rich People's Problems columnist, has been on a weekend jaunt, but one that proved pretty costly as it was to his third home, in the French Alps. Welcome, James. Well, thanks. <laughs> what further introduction what? do you need? <laughs> well, quite. So, so you wrote a while ago in a column that everybody needs three properties. Yes, they do. It was slightly tongue-in-cheek, but nevertheless, um, it caused a, a flurry of comments. But in fact... Highly recommended, <clears throat> though. This third property of yours, I have to say, sounds like pretty poor value, as you only go and stay in it once a year. Well, no, the thing is that I don't always stay there once a year. Sometimes I might go twice or three times. There is a chance that there'll be a repeat of when uh, I did a little summer road trip, and then you get to the end of the road trip and everybody sort of splits off in their different directions. You need somewhere to stay for a few nights on your way back. It's quite nice to go to somewhere familiar. Uh, you can stay for a few days. So, so, I mean, sometimes it gets used really rather a lot. If the snow's amazing, if you happen to be let go from your job you've got a little bit more time uh, then it's there um, so look it's variable and the thing is that if it's variable then it, sometimes you go for a very short amount of time and it costs collectively more and sometimes you go a lot more and it's really good value so I know that some people like to think oh wouldn't it be nice to go to lots of different resorts and and yes when you're a youth it is but the older you get the more you like familiarity that's where I get my nice bread that's that's where we have a really good lunch <laughs> very good well so your ski chalet in the French Alps there are some some very nice pictures of you posing on the balcony on in the article but some of the readers pointed out, you know, you could make more money out of this place by renting it out, but you don't want to do that. You can make more money in life by doing lots of things. And you don't necessarily want to do that. If you happen to live in a house that has off-street parking, that, you know, you're near a stadium or something, you can rent your front garden out and go and do all that sort of stuff. Or you could go and uh, rent an allotment and sell your vegetables. I mean, look, there are so many different things that you could do to make more money. I think... If I were of that position that just needs every single last penny and suddenly I thought, OK, well, then I've just got to make every single asset that I have sweat harder. Yes, I could. So it's nice to have that option. But the reason I don't is twofold. First of all, it's slight laziness that I don't want to clear it up and clear it out. And so therefore I can just leave all my stuff there. And the second thing is that if you do leave all your stuff there, so things like skis and boots and all these other things, rather than having to lock them up in the cupboards or something, but the stuff is all there, then it means that when you arrive, you can go with hand baggage only. It saves you time, saves you money. Off you go. You just arrive and everything's there. It's brilliant. And you don't have to pay an agent. No. And the thing is that I think people think that renting out property is so easy. And there are you know, a few comments that came through saying, oh, well, it's this and you arrange it. 
the more you reduce the hassle on your life by having somebody else to do it, the more fees you're going to be paying. And then, of course, let's not forget the French tax system, which is somewhat complex. And they do love to have a go at a Brit who's got a property that happens to be earning some income. So if you don't happen to be earning some income uh, and you use it more effectively, I mean, look, I could rent it out, I suppose, informally to friends or, you know, they could perhaps chip in towards the service charge or various things. Colleagues on FT money. Colleagues on FT money (laughs) could be arranged. Probably not. Uh, But I just think that just having that place there, it's, it's a conscious decision that I've made because I want convenience. And I think, look, we pay a lot of money in our lives for things which either reduce risk or, or increase convenience. So we reduce risk, for example, by having insurance. You hope you never use it, yet thousands of pounds are spent giving you peace of mind. So having something that you spend some money on to allow you to have a holiday whenever you want, that say, for example, times do get a little bit tough and uh, for whatever reason you don't have so much free cash and you can get there, then it does actually reduce the cost. You stay in a half-decent hotel you know, for a week. It's going to cost you quite a lot of money. And then all that schlepping of stuff and things and renting of blah, 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 blah. I mean, the whole thing, it's actually quite good value. So I have to ask, what did the readers make of your column this time? I think you've got a selection of some of the finest well, comments. Well, yes. Uh, as you can imagine, it was a mixed bag in the uh, in the collective. Uh, the usual haters, so French James said, please stop publishing this rubbish. It may be supposed to be funny, but it really comes across as self-satisfied and boasting, to which I did reply that maybe they needed to sit down, have a cup of tea and a biscuit to calm themselves. Uh, some people focused on different aspects of the article, which were nothing to do uh, with, I don't know, the column at all, really. What is it with the English public school boys and their love of wearing jumpers with holes in them, said Mont Victoire. I thought it was just an old Herovian thing, but it's clearly a wider phenomenon. As for Mr Max's ski apartment, it has a beautiful view. Priceless. So you like that one. This one said, I agree, James, renting out is a waste of time. I have two friends who bought an investment. This is from London Scott, who said to justify their second home, Kel Surprise, it's much harder to achieve the occupancy the estate agent assured them was possible. Meanwhile, L.K. Hyman says, um, quote, I have a number of friends who have a home, third home like us, quoting somebody else who had left a, a comment somewhere. Love that. Like us, he says. Good to see the comments getting with the James Max vibe. <laughs> Kane Clements says, James, you are approaching 50, I guess. Uh, yes, I am. Thanks. Uh, and still getting up long before dawn to go to work. That is a path to health issues. Is it really worth it? Just saying, because I work shifts as a youngster, and that was bad enough. Uh, I replied that it was a good point, and I'm going to speak to the employers and see if I can move to drive time. Um, <laughs> good luck with that. This one's from Richard Three says, not a care in the world about global warming. That's for other people to worry about. Disgraceful. No idea what that was about, but I wondered whether I should be racking my hands uh, in guilt at every turn. For the record, Moira O'Neill is giving James Max a bit of a care bear stare. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but this is not about global warming. I'll write about that somewhere. This one says, more CRAP from this idiot. I wouldn't mind if he was rich, but having a few million tucked away at his age or spending 5k on a weekend break just isn't that impressive. (laughs) Says Frog 4. And and meanwhile, uh, Randoob says, uh, when's uh, James Min going to be allowed to have a go at this column? The day I managed to afford a piece of mouldy old cheese and a crust of bread for my miserable lunch. James Min. I James love it. Min. Well, I think you, there you we can, go. You can probably turn to my own column for that. Do you have the final nugget to leave us with? Yes, I think Mio 4 has probably got the best piece of advice for you and everyone else. It says, what is better than owning your own yacht? A good friend who owns one. Might apply to ski chalets too. 
Oh, well, very nice. Well, thank you very much there to James Maxwell, Rich People's Problems columnist. You can contact James if you have a Rich People's Problem that you would like him to attempt to solve in a witty manner. His email address is richpeoplesproblems at ft.com and to his disgust, there is no apostrophe in that address. Well, that's it for the FT Money Show this week. Thank you for putting up with my rather croaky voice. You can contact us via email, money at ft.com, or you can follow us on Twitter for news updates at FT Money. We'll be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.